chapters 5, 6, and 7, beginning this morning for the next seven Sundays. Before I get there, a couple things I want to tackle. Tonight is Fan the Flame. Tickets are still available. I think we're expecting at this point just a hair over 400, and I would love to see us get over that 500 mark. So even if you're not planning on coming at this point, uh, it's not too late to change your plans. Come on out. It really benefits uh, two great causes, uh, Home Sweet Home Mission and the Forgotten Initiative. So come on out tonight because of Fan the Flame. First Kids groups will not be meeting tonight, and Reveal will be coming to Fan the Flame. Cody is in here, so if you're a Reveal parent and you don't know what that means or how that plays out, see Cody afterwards. And I have no idea what's happening. Am I doing that? or That's not good. Am I off now? Is that me? What do you want me to do? All right, how's that? Is that better? Okay, sorry about that. Um, tonight, Fan the Flame. It will be awesome. Next Sunday, November 1st, is a huge day for several reasons. It's Time Change Sunday. We get an extra hour of sleep, so be sure to fall back or you'll be very early for church. It's also our blood pressure checks. Um, I'm so excited that my friend Dr. Tilan Kim will be here. He is a missionary in India. He is from India. He is one of the most godly men that I know, and I can't wait for you to hear from him. That's next Sunday morning. And the next Sunday night is Discover FCC from 530 to 7. If you want to know more about FCC's history, theology, and ministries, this night is for you. And even if you've been around here a long time and you haven't spent a, you know maybe a, a lot of time really diving in, finding out what this church is about, you don't have to be a newcomer to attend Discover FCC. That's next Sunday night from 530 to 7. Two other quick announcements. I need some of you big, strong men to give me about 10 minutes when we say the final amen. We've got to completely clear this stage. And so if you can help me with that, just come on up. And if you're not sure if you're a big, sturdy guy or not, if you're Cody Monkman size or bigger, that qualifies as big and sturdy. So come on up and help us out. That's not a joke. I'm not making fun for the most part. And then the second thing, the second thing, and I don't ever do this because I always, I'll end up forgetting somebody or someone will get their feelings hurt because their team wasn't talked about. But how awesome is it that the Clinton Maroons football team had a huge victory Friday night and made the playoffs? Give them a hand. And if you're part of another sports team, we love you too. Okay, Sermon on the Mount. Every year, uh, mid-January, end of January, an event takes place in our country that's really a pretty big deal. It's kind of a big deal in central Illinois. It's a huge deal in Washington, D.C. It's known as the State of the Union. And the president comes, and all of his cabinet people come, and all the, the members of the House of Representatives, and the senators come, and the Supreme Court justices come. And I mean, it's like a game of up and down. The, the president speaks, and he lays out a platform for the next year or for the next several years. And sometimes nobody applauds, and sometimes half the people applaud, and sometimes all the people applaud. And it's really a big night, and I used to really dig the State of the Union. I don't know if I'm just old or cynical or both, but normally I just get the highlights the next morning. But regardless of my perspective, it's a big deal. Now, here's what's interesting about the State of the Union. 
What would happen if we were to sit down, and we won't do this, but we were to sit down and watch, say, the 2002 State of the Union, and then try to come along with some real history buff and figure out, okay, how much of the State of the Union became reality? How much of what at that time it would have been President George W. Bush laid out actually became reality? My guess is, I don't know that this is the case, but my guess is most of the time the vision of the State of the Union does not become the reality of life in America. There's kind of a disconnect. And that's probably the case with any great platform that is laid out by somebody for people that are following after him or her. That the disconnect between reality and the vision is pretty pronounced. Why do I share that with you? We are going to study beginning today and for the next seven Sundays, counting today, what is considered Jesus's State of the Union, Jesus's Magna Carta, Jesus's Great Charter. How do we, as followers of Jesus Christ, live the call to be a follower of Christ? What's that look like? I'm not talking about believe, repent, confess, be baptized, live the Christian life. That's conversion. I'm talking about how do we live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And I realize we're going from one sermon series where we were throwing out doubts and trying to give an apology for why we believe what we believe, not an apology that I'm sorry, but a defense for here's why we believe what we believe. And we're going a totally different direction now. And we're looking at, okay, if I am a follower of Jesus or if I want to be a follower of Jesus, what should my life look like? How should I live as a follower of Jesus in 2015? And the thing about the Sermon on the Mountain is that it's three chapters. It's a whole bunch of verses. And we're going to try to cover all of that today. Really, really just a quick overview. But then we're going to take six weeks and we're going to do two weeks on chapter 5 and two weeks on chapter 6 and two weeks on chapter 7 and try to figure out how do we live this? How do we live Jesus' great charter as followers of Jesus Christ? So let's dive in. Again, this is going to sound more like a lesson than a sermon, but that's okay. Six non-negotiable teachings from Jesus' greatest sermon. And number one is this. We see Jesus' passion, the kingdom of heaven. When you hear kingdom of heaven, what do you think of? I think of the book of Revelation. I think of streets of gold. I think of spending my days not worrying about my to-do list or which of my sports teams are playing that night, but praising God over and over and over. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When I think of the kingdom of heaven, I think of heaven. And, you know, some of us, we've lost loved ones. Maybe we're thinking of that more than ever today. But that's not what Jesus is talking about when he begins the Sermon on the Mountain. What's it going to look like when we die and go to heaven, when we all go to heaven? He's talking about how do we live today in this world, in 2015, with all the junk and the crud that that, that defines this world. How do we live today for the kingdom of heaven? And, And so, number one, what is the kingdom of heaven? What's that look like? Jesus told us through a series of statements that seem very countercultural. We call them the Beatitudes. He said crazy things like this, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. How many of you like to be sad? I mean, you wake up in the morning and you think, today would be a great day to really be sad. Today would be a great day to cry a lot. 
Today would be a great day to be an emotional disaster. We never say that. We want to be happy. We want to sing the, the stupid happy song. I mean, we, we like that kind of stuff. And Jesus says, blessed are you if you mourn. Blessed are you if you're persecuted. Blessed are you if you're poor in spirit. What, what's that mean? Well, it's countercultural. And next week, November 1, we're going to tackle what's that look like in my life? What's that look in your life? We don't stop there next week. Not only what is it, but how do we live this out in our lives? What's my life supposed to look like? And if you're not new around here, if you're at FCC on a regular basis, this ought to really ring a bell with you. Here's how we live it out by being the salt of the earth and by being the light of the world. That's how I live out the Beatitudes. I look for opportunities to be the salt of the earth. I look for opportunities to be the light of the world. And so you're called to be salt and you're called to be light. The key verse here is verses 13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Number one, next week, November 1st, we tackle this idea of the kingdom of heaven. What is it, and what does it look like? How do we live it? Number two, week number two, November 8th, we're going to look at the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. If you were just in my Sunday school class, we had a debate. Do we call it the Old Testament, or do we call it the Hebrew Scriptures, or does it really matter? Here's the point. Jesus said his most radical statement in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 5, in my opinion, in the entire Sermon on the Mountain. And that's kind of an incredible statement in itself because there's some incredible statements in the Sermon on the Mountain. But here's what he said. I did not come to do away with the law and the prophets. What, what are the law and the prophets? Well, the law is basically the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And specifically, the Ten Commandments. Do you know your Ten Commandments, by the way? You know it? No other gods before me, no idols, don't misuse my name. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, honor father and mother. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not covet. Those are the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus is talking about that, but he's talking about so much more than that. He's talking about all the prophets that came along. He's talking about guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea, and Micah, and Habakkuk, and Malachi. And I don't have the whole list memorized, but there's, there's 16 of them that, that are in our Old Testament. And they all pointed to a Savior. And so you might think that Jesus would come along and say, I, do away with those 39 books. We don't need those anymore. But that's not what he says. He says the law, the prophets, are still incredibly relevant today. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it, to fulfill the law. And that's the radical statement. So you've got to realize that people that Jesus is speaking to, religious leaders of the day that are hearing about this sermon, man, Moses was an icon. Abraham, an icon. David, an icon. I mean, you talk about hero of the faith. They were the greatest heroes of the faith. And Jesus is now saying, I didn't come to do away with the law of Moses. I am fulfilling the law of Moses. So what's that look like to fulfill the law of Moses? Jesus gives us some snapshots. And I want to just tell you, on November 8, you're not going to believe what Jesus had to say. Jesus said, long ago, they said, do not murder. Commandment number six. He says, not just do not murder, don't even get angry. Anybody been angry this week? Let's show hands if you've been angry this week. I've been angry this week a couple times, okay? Jesus says, no, Cody's not been angry. That's good. But a lot of us have been angry this week. It's bad. Jesus says, don't even get angry. 
Jesus says, what about commandment number seven? Do not commit adultery. Jesus says, not only should you not commit adultery, that's obvious, that's duh. He says, I don't even want you to lust. If you've lusted this week, raise your hand. Just kidding. Don't do it. 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 That was a joke. First service, no one raised their hand. Why is it easier, by the way, to raise our hand and say, I was angry this week, as opposed to I was lusting this week? Why is that? I don't know. But Jesus says, it's not enough just to be letter of the law. Don't even lust. Don't even look at that guy or that gal with a twinkle in your Don't even go down that road. Jesus says, not just letter of the law when it comes to divorce. He says, don't just be legal. Make marriage a priority. He said, it's not enough to be able to stand before people one day and say, well, we lived through 50 years. It was awful a lot of the time, but we made it to 50 years. He says, no, make your marriage matter. Jesus says, it's not just enough to break your oath. He says, don't even swear at all. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Do you know people in your world that they just, they can't ever give you a direct answer? They're always dancing verbally. They're always dancing around. Uh, Jesus says, just let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Be people of your word. Jesus says, it's not just eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The world says eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But he says, I say, don't resist an evil person. If someone wrongs you, love them anyway. Someone forces you to do something, do double what they force. This is radical. This is countercultural. And then finally, not just love your neighbor. It's easy to love your neighbor. But he says, love your enemy as well. And so the key verse is verse 17. We talked about it already. Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. That's November 8. Week 3, November 15, we're going to look at this idea of what is model spirituality. What's the ideal? What's model spirituality look like? And Jesus gives us four snapshots. He talks about giving, prayer, forgiveness, and fasting. Is there a good way to give and a not-so-good way to give? Just think about that for a moment. We're going to tackle that November 15. For some of us, we might think giving's giving. Jesus has other ideas. What about prayer? Is there a right way to pray, or is there a not-so-good way to pray? I want to do something that we don't ever do second service at FCC, so you're stepping outside your comfort zone, which is okay. I want you to stand up, and we are going to say together, according to NIV 1978, the Lord's Prayer. So let's put that up on the screen. Next screen. There you go. Um, I want you to say this with me. I'll go pretty slow. This is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thank you. You may be seated. See, I think for many people today, prayer is something that we say that we do, but we really don't spend a lot of time praying. We spend a lot of time thinking about prayer. Maybe we spend a lot of time talking about prayer, but stuff gets in the way. And do we really spend time praying? And when we pray, are we praying in a way that brings glory and honor to God the Father? That's what we're going to tackle Um, Just to let you know, November 15, a lot of the sermon is going to come from a new book that is out by Max Lucado, Before the Amen. And we have copies of that book. We're probably going to buy more copies of that book. Uh, It it is an excellent read on the Lord's Prayer. 
And, you know, one more thing I want to throw out there. This is just from our modern-day world. I say we don't pray enough. I say we don't spend enough time making prayer a priority. I want to just tell you something that happened that really um, it warmed my heart. And I don't say that in a cheesy kind of way. I was really um, stunned when I received a telephone call last December. And you probably know we had an election, county board leadership changed, and um, the two leaders of the newly elected county board, Dave and Camille, said, hey, we want to do something that we haven't been doing and we think is important. We want to open every one of our main county board meetings with prayer. And we don't want to do the praying. We want you, the, the ministers, to come in. And we don't want it just to be one person every month. We want to hear from all of you. And so for this last year, um, I've had the opportunity. The Methodists have been there, Presbyterians, Assembly of God, Church of God. The list goes on and on and on and on. And you may say, does a three-minute prayer really make that much difference? I, why not? That's a positive that leaders in our community are saying, let's model something different. Let's model something holy. And, and so I, they're not even here today. I want to just say thank you to, to Dave and to Camille and to the crew for the county board. They're not the crew. They're the county board for, um, for, for making that a reality. That's a positive thing that's happening. Um, the last couple things that we talk about here are forgiveness and fasting. Um, how are you at forgiveness? Are you pretty good at forgiveness? I'm not very good at forgiveness. Um, I've got a long memory. Um, I've got a memory like an elephant. And unfortunately, at times, I've got to tell you, that is a detriment not a blessing. And here's the reality of it. If you ever know someone that's ever said something like this, I'll never forgive him because blah, 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 or I'll never forgive her because blah, 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 blah fill in the blank. Um, Jesus has words for you. In the Sermon on the Mountain, it's the middle verses of the Sermon on the Mountain, and they're hard verses. They're tough verses to swallow. Here's what he says. He says, if you forgive men's sins, when they sin against you. I've got great news. God the Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men's sins when they sin against you, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. And I, I just want to God's been working on my heart the last couple weeks. God's going to work on our hearts leading up to November 15. And, you know, some of us, I mean, we need to practice forgiveness. We need to realize that even though we're hurt, even though we may say, man, we're justified righteous indignation. We are justified to feel like we feel. Jesus says, let it go anyway. Jesus says, forgive anyway. That's November 15. And then we're going to talk about fasting. I don't even know if we even deal with fasting in 2015 anymore, but it was a big deal in the first century world, and we're going to talk about why do people do it, and how should we do it, and what's the big deal with it. And, and the key verse that's up on the screen is the very first verse in Matthew chapter 6, which says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Week four, November 22, balancing the things of heaven and the stuff of earth. And I'm going to do this pretty quickly. November 22nd, I'm not going to do it quickly. But there are several big ideas that Jesus fleshes out at the end of chapter six. And he asks questions like, what are you storing up? He asks questions like, where is your heart? What's in your heart? He asks questions, why do we worry? Any of us worry? A lot of us are worriers. And Jesus says, Let, let's talk about this. Why, why are you worrying? And then finally, what are you seeking? And, and the key verse is verse 33 at the end of the chapter. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all this other stuff, it'll be given to you as well. Your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Week four, the things of heaven and the stuff of earth. Week five 
Thanksgiving weekend, Adam's going to tackle for us a question, how do you do what you do? It's not very good English, I'll I'll let you know, but we're going to tackle it nonetheless. How do you do what you do? How are you at judging others? Um, Jesus said, do not judge or you will be judged. Jesus said, don't worry about the speck in your brother or sister's eye when you got a big old plank in your own. And we're going to talk about, you know, when are we out of line when it comes to judgment? And, and when is it acceptable to confront a brother or sister in Christ? This isn't Jesus saying free-for-all. This isn't Jesus saying eat, drink, be merry, live however you want to live your life. It's Jesus saying don't be a hypocrite. Don't be so worried about what your brother or sister are doing that you can't take an honest look in the mirror. What about asking, seeking, and knocking? Have you ever asked passionately? for the Lord to give you something. Most of us probably have. And sometimes what we're asking for is maybe healing. Maybe sometimes what we're asking for is a a job, employment. Maybe it's for relationship transformation. How's that play out in our lives? Asking, seeking, and knocking. And then we end that day with the golden rule, which is the key verse, verse 12. Do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up The law, and it should say prophets. I mistyped. It should say prophets. This sums up the law and the prophets. And then finally, our last week will be into December. December 6th is going to be a big day. We're going to have a congregational meeting, and we're going to vote on the map that day. But we're going to try to bring this series to a conclusion by looking at this takeaway. It's tough to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I want that just to sink in with you for a moment this morning. It's tough to enter the kingdom of heaven. That seems somewhat contradictory to what maybe you hear around here. We talk a lot of times about how easy it is to come to Jesus, how awesome God's grace is. You don't have to earn your salvation. You don't have to do the the checklist. You don't have to do the report card. And Jesus is pretty clear here, though, that it's not easy to be my follower. It's a challenge to be my follower. And I would would just throw out, we probably all can think of someone that at one season of their life, they they seem to be living for Jesus. They seem to be on fire for the faith. And today, for whatever reason, whatever series of events have happened, they're not. And I I think what Jesus is saying here is that this is not get baptized and then just live however you want to live. This is not just accept the grace of God and don't change. This is, if anybody's in Christ, they're a new creation. And the old is gone, and the new has come. And the way that Jesus um, helps us visualize that is he, he gives a series of choices that must be made. Everyone must choose one of two ways. They must choose a path, a gate. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. He said, now most people are going to enter in through the wide gate. It's broad, it's massive. It's appealing, and a lot of people go down that road. But Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. We're going to talk about trees, and we're not going to talk about trees because I'm a tree hugger, because I'm not a tree hugger. We're not going to talk about the different kinds of trees, like pine tree or oak tree or another tree, maple tree. But we are going to talk about the kind of trees that Jesus mentions in Matthew chapter 7. He says there are good trees, and there are bad trees. And the good trees produce fruit. And the bad trees 
not so much. What's Jesus mean by that? What's it mean for you and for me as we live our lives? We're going to talk about wills that day. And I'm not talking about like a legal will, like I leave you my bicycle or I leave you my Chicago Cubs coffee mug collection or anything like that. We're talking about whose will is driving you. This is volition. See, at the end of Matthew 7, there's some words that should scare us. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who what? Does the will of my Father. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the person, only the man, the woman, the teenager, child, who does the will of my Father in heaven. And so we're going to ask, who are you following after? Whose will is driving you? And then Jesus ends the sermon with a parable, so we're going to end with a parable as well, and that's the foundation. What foundation have you locked into? The wise man who built his house on the rock or the foolish man who built his house on the sand? You know that parable, right? The the rains came, the streams rose, the storms of life, and the house on the rock stood firm, but the house on the sand went splat. I'm going to get some good splat sounds for December 6th. But it's really not a laughing matter. Jesus is saying it matters where you're building your foundation. Build your house on the rock. And the key verse, really two verses, verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. Verse 24, build your house on the rock. What's my bottom line for you? It's pretty simple. Are you ready to be amazed? Now, you may be saying that's a pretty arrogant thing for a preacher to ask about sermons that he's getting ready to preach. But I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about the words that that I will speak I'm talking about the words that we will read. Because look at verse 28 of Matthew chapter 7. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. When's the last time you were really amazed? When's the last time you read a scripture or you heard a sermon or you were part of a lesson or you heard a worship song, or you did something within the realm of Christianity, and you just, you were just amazed. And and the reality is probably not enough, quite honestly. We're probably not amazed enough. My prayer for you and for me for these next six, seven weeks is that we will walk away amazed at Jesus. We'll walk away amazed at what He is telling us. We will walk away amazed at what our call as followers of Jesus is really all about. Let's pray. God, thank you for today, and thank you for the opportunity to gather together, and um, I thank you so much for the hope we have because of your son Jesus. I thank you for just a, a big challenge that's in front of us for these next several weeks, and it's my prayer that we won't run from your word that we won't take a six-week break from church because it's going to be uncomfortable, but that our hearts will be open, our minds will be open, our will will be open to what you have for us. Words that were spoken 2,000 years ago that still matter today, that are still relevant today, speak to us. We love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. It is invitation time as it is every week here at FCC.
And if you have a decision to make for Jesus Christ, we invite you to come forward. And if you're not a public decision kind of person, see me afterwards. See Adam, Samuel, one of the other ministers, Cody, Kent. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus.